0: an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, my talk today is about the nature of conscience and some of the controversial arguments that are going on right now that seek to deny healthcare workers uh, rights to refuse to, for instance, perform abortions or to prescribe contraception, etc. And what I want to do is first talk about the nature of conscience, Um, secondly talk about why conscience should be protected, third talk about some of the arguments that are given against protecting conscience, and then also to respond to those arguments. So let me begin with uh, what conscience is. I cite something from uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church which defines conscience as, quote, a judgment of reason whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act that he's going to perform is in the process of performing or has already completed. So conscience is not a matter of mere feeling or emotion. One could have a judgment in conscience that a particular action that one has done is wrong and yet one may or may not feel guilty about that, right? So the feeling and the judgment are distinct. Now, in a person who is well integrated, they go together. That is to say, when someone has a judgment they've done wrong, they also feel an appropriate sense of guilt for that. Or when they've judged that they've done right, they feel the feelings that are appropriate for that. But the judgment and the feelings are distinct. So conscience is the agent's very best judgment about what is to be done here and now. Now, why should we worry about defending conscience? Well, one reason is religious. The Second Vatican Council taught that, quote, the Christian faithful, in common with all other people, possess the civil right not to be hindered in leading their lives in accordance with their consciences. But in the context of healthcare ethics, there are additional secular reasons for protecting the conscience rights of healthcare workers. First of all, it protects their human dignity. To be forced to do something against what you believe to be right to do outside of certain just limitations is to make use of someone else as if they were simply a thing, to use someone simply as a means. Secondly, protection of conscience protects diversity in the workplace. If conscience is not protected, what this means is that certain kinds of people will be forced out of, for instance, the healthcare profession. And this works against having a diverse workplace in which all kinds of people are represented. And it works against also facilitating healthcare. And it also prevents, uh, thoroughly conscience should be protected because it helps prevent against religious discrimination. Presumably no one wants a healthcare profession that in principle excludes people of faith, Christians, Muslims, Jews, from participating as doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals. Now, what are the threats to conscience today? Well, there are many threats to conscience today. For instance, there are proposals that medical schools require, as a condition of graduation, that medical students assist in and actually perform abortions. Now, of course, if this were to take place, then, for instance, faithful Catholics just couldn't ever become medical doctors. There's also proposals that say that doctors should be forced to perform abortions or at least refer others to abortions. Once again, if this were to go through, then faithful Catholics would, in principle, be unable to continue to practice medicine. There are proposals put forward that doctors and pharmacists should be forced to prescribe contraceptives. And finally, there are proposals that Catholic institutions, Catholic hospitals, for instance, should be forced to pay for contraception, forced to pay for abortion, patients and Catholic hospitals should be forced to uh, perform abortions and provide contraception. Now part of this is a, uh, a political move. In the previous presidential campaign there was talk of the so-called war on women. You guys may have heard that the kind of phrase, the war on women. And I think that that it's important to point out the inherent tensions in this sort of uh, rhetoric that has been floated recently. So abortion and similar decisions used to be defended as private decisions involving a woman and her doctor. But in the war on women, now all of a sudden, public money provided by taxpayers are required for these private decisions. But that seems like a kind of contradiction. I mean, most of my private decisions, I don't require government funding to to accomplish. Uh, Previously, people used to have slogans for abortion and contraception, such as keep your rosaries off my ovaries, right? Kind of people that, the rhetoric of justifying abortions. But now they want insurance reimbursements. In other words, they want Catholic, healthcare Catholics to pay for and facilitate uh, their reproductive choices. They said before, only the woman has the right to make reproductive choices for herself. But now they want everyone else to have the duty to pay for these private choices. They said before, my body, my choice, but now, This is made possible by your money and your cooperation. So this is the popular political rhetorical sort of debate, but I wanna focus today more on the scholarly and uh, intellectual justifications for getting rid of conscience protections, and there are many of them. I'm not gonna cover all of them, but I'm gonna cover the ones that are most prominent, the ones that recur frequently in the literature. So let me start with the justification that undermining conscience is a way of facilitating and helping women's health. If we insist that conscience ought to be protected, what this, what happens then is that women's health ends up getting undermined, undermined and shortchanged. We need to eviscerate protections of conscience in order to facilitate women's health, in particular, women's contraception and abortion. That's the argument. The reality, though, is that undermining conscience protection actually harms women's health, men's health, and children's health. First of all, neither abortion nor contraception really is a matter of health. Health, properly speaking, has to do with restoration of the proper functioning of the human body. But abortion isn't about restoration of the proper function of the human body. A pregnant woman is not having a disease or a sickness, in fact, Her body is working properly. Her reproductive system and her ability to gestate a baby is working just fine. In a similar way, contraception is not about health. Sterility in a person of reproductive age is a disease, a malady. Something is wrong with a person of reproductive age if the person has a pathology of sterility. So contraception is not a matter of health, but actually is a matter of inducing a pathology, making someone less healthy than they were previously. Secondly, undermining conscience protection also undermines the health of men, women, and children, because if conscience protection is undermined, what this means is that there'll be fewer medical professionals for everyone. If conscience protections are undermined, what this means is that healthcare costs will rise. Right, the price of healthcare has to do with what? Supply and demand. You have uh, the demand of healthcare, right, people who need help. But if you have a supply that is fewer doctors and fewer nurses, well this is gonna raise the cost of healthcare. But if conscience protections are eviscerated, if they're taken away, what this means is that faithful people will no longer be able to participate in healthcare. It means that Catholic hospitals, which constitute more than 10% of healthcare in the United States, may have to shut down. When you have fewer people supplying the, what's needed for people's healthcare, the cost of health care for everyone rises. There are in the United States uh, about 15% of all hospital uh, hospital admissions are to Catholic hospitals. Now if Catholic hospitals are forced to perform abortions, etc., these institutions will cease to exist, cease to be able to f- they won't be able to function. If hospitals are required to do these immoral activities, then Catholic hospitals, if they're faithful, will say, well I guess we can't be a hospital anymore. But what that would mean is that people are going to go without health care. And that means, in addition to them suffering, it also means that the cost of healthcare will go up, which harms everyone. The reality is also this, that getting rid of conscience protection disproportionately affects minority health care providers. Why? Well, because Latinos and African Americans are disproportionately religious, and so if conscience protections are taken away, then faithful religious people, and again, disproportionately those are Latinos and African Americans, won't be able to practice healthcare. And what this means is that you'll have fewer, not just fewer pro-life medical professionals, but fewer Latino and African Americans providing healthcare. And again, this is something that presumably we don't want. We don't want the the healthcare profession to be just, uh, you know, majority of just white people providing healthcare. The rhetoric, another second argument is that, uh, in favor of getting rid of protections for conscience, is that professional obligations of physicians for the well-being of their patients trump private moral concerns. That is to say, physicians have taken on, in virtue of taking on their role as physicians, obligations towards their patients, and so their private, personal, religious concerns shouldn't trump their obligations that they've taken on to help their patients. In other words, patients' interests in getting abortion or contraception trumps the interest of doctors, uh, the interest doctors have in living according to their consciences. Now this argument too I think is problematic. Uh, Providing abortion is neither a moral nor a legal obligation. It's not a moral obligation because, at least if the view that I defend in my book The Ethics of Abortion is correct abortion is not morally permissible, and there can never be a moral obligation to do something that's morally wrong. In fact, there's a moral obligation not to do something that's morally wrong. So the argument that doctors have a moral obligation to do this presupposes something quite controversial, namely that abortion is morally permissible, and that is a premise that I reject along with many others. Secondly, there's no legal obligation to do this. After Roe v. Wade was passed in 19, or uh, after the Supreme Court cited it in 1973, Uh, there was a law passed in the United States called the Church Amendment. And what that says is that there is no legal obligation for a hospital or for a physician to perform an abortion. So this is not a moral obligation, it's not a legal obligation, at least at present time. Also, this idea that the the interests of the uh, patient always trumps the interest of, of the physician is also clearly wrong there are many many cases in which the interest of the doctor trump the interest of the patient for instance it would be the interest of patients to have doctors do house calls that'd be very convenient right we wouldn't have to po- find a parking we wouldn't have to go in but doctors do not have an obligation to do that even though the interests of the patients would be on that side Doctors don't have an obligation to work on Sundays and other legal holidays, even though it may be in the interest of patients to have their doctors available at that time, right? Doctors don't need to cancel their vacations because their patients would prefer that they don't. So there's many, many times where the interest of the doctor trumps the interest of the patient. But when we're talking about protecting conscience, we're not talking about a trivial sort of thing like you know, making house calls or being available at certain times and other times. We're talking about a much more significant interest In other words, many people, if forced to choose between violating their own consciences and working at times they prefer not to, would prefer to work at times that they'd otherwise prefer not to. The defense of one's own conscience is a much more significant and deeper interest. So if the interest of the patient can be subordinated to that of the doctor in this relatively minor case of working on holidays and such, well how much more would the interest of the doctor in defending conscience trump the interest of the patient in getting an abortion? Physicians, in other words, um, are not mere dispensers. It's not like they're Coke machines, they just have to do whatever the patient wants. And in fact, there's a faulty assumption here too, that abortion and contraception actually are in the interest of patients. I would challenge that. I would say that it is never in someone's interest to do something that is morally impermissible. And I believe both abortion and contraception are morally impermissible, so it's never in anyone's interest to intentionally have an abortion or use contraception. A third argument in fa- against conscience to try to undermine it is that conscientious objection undermines the rights of patients and their autonomy. And because there's a legal right in the United States to both contraception and abortion, there also ought to be a legal duty for doctors and hospitals to provide these things. If we don't provide these things, what we're doing is we're undermining the autonomy of women. Now, this argument too is faulty, and the reason it's faulty is that it equivocates about the nature of rights to abortion and contraception, rights in quotes. Um, Legal rights do not always entail duties of others to cooperate. So for instance, I have a legal right to free speech, which is true, but that does not mean that other people have a duty to facilitate my free speech. The New York Times is not violating my rights to free speech by not allowing me to print, uh, have an op-ed piece uh, twice a week, right? NBC is not violating my free speech rights by not, you know, broadcasting this address in uh, prime time nationwide. So having a legal right to something does not entail, in all cases, that other people have a duty, a legal duty, to facilitate you in exercising this right. Secondly, the idea that somehow um, conscience protections undermine the autonomy of people to choose abortion and contraception flies in the face of the reality that in fact people's autonomy and ability to choose abortion and contraception is very well protected. What do I mean? Right now in the United States, there is no legal duty to provide abortions and in many places Catholics may uh, decline and others may decline to facilitate contraception. And yet, abortion and contraception are widely practiced. We have about 1.3 million abortions every single year with the current conscience restrictions in place. In other words, if some woman wants to get an abortion from a particular provider and the provider says, I'm not gonna do that, that does not take away her legal right or her actual ability in real life to get an abortion. There are countless abortion providers in the United States. And so they certainly do have still the autonomy to be able to go Uh, get an abortion. Another argument against conscience protections is that uh, if there's protection of conscience then patients are denied services that they request and they'll be forced to get these services elsewhere and this wastes their time, energy, and money in the process. So allowing conscientious objection is very inefficient. Now. The reality, though, the response to that is that abortion and contraception um, already are legal, already are extremely common, and the mere lack of personal uh, convenience in getting these things is hardly a justification for eviscerating protection of conscience. Again, there are many other cases where uh, a patient might be inconvenienced by what the doctor does, like, say, inconvenience that the doctor doesn't work till 8.30 at night or inconvenience that the doctor doesn't provide free healthcare, right, it's inconvenient to have to pay money for that. And yet the doctor does not have either a moral or a legal obligation to stay open every night till 8.30 or to provide their services for free. But if these, uh, uh, what would you say, more less significant interests, like a financial interest or an interest in time, justify not providing services, how much more would the significant interest of conscience justify not providing services? Let me turn now to institutions. Some people make an argument that Catholic individuals maybe should be exempted from performing abortions, for instance, but Catholic institutions should be forced to. So by Catholic institutions, I mean like Catholic hospitals. And the argument goes like this. Institutions uh, don't have souls, institutions don't have consciences, and so institutions should be forced to provide these desired services for patients. And so maybe there should be a personal exception if an individual doctor doesn't want to do it, but there should be no institutional protections, and institutions should be forced to provide these services, even though individual doctors may not be forced. This argument, I think, also is flawed. It's correct, obviously, that Catholic institutions don't have souls, and that's true, and Catholic institutions as institutions don't have consciences, but hospital administrators do have souls, and hospital administrators do have consciences. And hospitals, as legal entities, actually do have legal and moral responsibilities. And overseeing and facilitating immoral activity, even if you don't personally perform it, is itself an action that is evil. We saw this in World War II, right? The people in World War II who facilitated and helped the evil actions of others were held accountable for that it doesn't do any good to say, well, look, I personally didn't get my hands bloody. I personally didn't do anything wrong. I just was organizing all this, facilitating all this, you know, making sure it all happened. You know, I was behind a desk all day. I didn't actually pull the trigger or do any of the bad things. Well, that obviously is fallacious, right? The person who's organizing all this does have moral responsibility for the things that they're organizing. And if it were correct that institutions don't have any moral duties, well, then of course, there could never be a duty to facilitate abortion and contraception. So this argument is sort of self-contradictory. On the one hand, they want to say institutions don't have moral responsibilities and so it's fine to provide abortions, but then they want to say institutions really do have responsibilities to provide abortions. Well, this is obviously a contradiction. Another argument against against protecting conscience, it comes from a, a legal scholar named Bernard Dickens. And he says this, let me quote, protection against discrimination is in principle a legitimate goal of legislation, since discrimination is an act of superiority directed against those seen as an inferior position. Anti-discrimination laws are intended to relieve less powerful people from the oppression of more powerful. In this legislation, however, the protection is designed to privilege adherents primarily of a religious faith. In other words, he's saying conscience protections are privileged those of a religious faith. And this exploits the dependency and inferior status of patients, primarily women, who want access to reproductive services. Enactment of laws to empower individuals to subordinate others to their preferences by denial of medically-indicated care, especially when they enjoy a legal monopoly to provide this, is an abuse of the anti-discrimination principle. The idea, in other words, is that conscience protection Uh, is illegitimate, because it's a kind of form of discrimination. Now what this argument presupposes is that legally and ethically, reverse discrimination is impossible. That is to say that a member of a more powerful group could experience discrimination by a member of a less powerful group. But I question this presupposition. It seems to be very clear, for instance, that a male nurse being fired simply for being male has been discriminated against even though we could say that men in the United States have more positions of power and authority in general than do women, right? You can have someone who, in a particular situation, is discriminated against, even though that person is, in other uh, situations, in the more powerful group. Um, The the argument that Dickens puts forward is an example of the fallacy of division. The fallacy of division attributes to each part whatever is characteristic of the whole. And so we need not assume in every circumstance that every man or white person, for instance, is advantaged and that every woman or person of color is disadvantaged. Dickens also holds, and this is the final argument against conscience I'll be talking about, Dickens also holds that conscientious physicians have a duty to refer patients for abortions. The idea would be, okay, if you object to, say, doing abortions yourself, well, you nevertheless do have a moral and legal duty to uh, refer the person who's seeking abortion to an abortion provider. He says, quote, the duty to refer in good faith is widely recognized as a condition of accommodating conscientious objection. In other words, if you want conscientious objection, you have to also sign on to referral of the person who wants the abortion to someone who will provide it. Those who require respect for their own conscience cannot show disrespect for the different conclusions of others, including patients requesting medically indicated care in which the objectors decline to participate, and have professional colleagues who do not object to providing such care. In other words, if you want people to respect your conscience, healthcare provider, you better refer your patients to people that will perform abortions, because if you don't do that, then you're not respecting their conscience. This argument, I think, also won't do. And the reason is that respect for the conscience of others does not require that you facilitate the person's actions based on their conscience. What do I mean? Um, If it's true that we have an obligation always to facilitate, uh, if respecting another person means you have to facilitate the choices that they make on the basis of their conscience, well, then Dickens would have an obligation to facilitate the actions of pro-life doctors. Because right? otherwise, he wouldn't be respecting their judgments and conscience. So this is clearly itself contradictory, and clearly it's false. Right? Respecting someone as a person does not mean we have to cooperate with their actions. If somebody comes up to us and says, well, in conscience, I feel like I should um, drink and drive. I'm just totally convinced of that. And the idea would be, oh, yes, well, let me help you with that. Uh, I'm not personally going to provide the alcohol. But let me tell you, there's a, a liquor store just down the street, and that's where you get the liquor, be great. Right? Or think of the absurdity of um, some teenagers coming up to someone who's 21 saying, oh, we wanna, we wanna, can you buy some alcohol for us? And you say, well, look, I'm not gonna buy alcohol for underage people, because I think that's wrong. I'm not gonna facilitate you guys having a party. But, um, but I do feel I have to respect your conscience, so let me tell you where you can get uh, you know, the alcohol. There's a place down the street that, that they don't card, and you can go there and get your alcohol. I mean, that's, that's clearly absurd, that respect for conscience of others requires actually helping other people to do uh, those actions. What does respect for conscience mean? Well, what it means is refraining from manipulating, coercing, or otherwise attempting to force someone to change their beliefs. That's respecting someone's conscience. But it does not mean cooperating with, facilitating, or aiding others in carrying out their actions based on their conscientious beliefs, right? So respecting people's consciences is a duty. We should respect other people's consciences. And what that means is we should never manipulate them or use physical force or coercion to try to get them to alter their beliefs. But clearly, respectful conscience does not entail that you have to cooperate with or facilitate whatever decisions people make on the basis of their conscience. So let me conclude with uh, a broader view, and the broader view is this. We are at a very important stage in the history of our country. We're at a stage in which not just abortion and these things are illegal, we're at a stage now at which people want to force those who disagree to do actions that violate their own consciences. This has happened before. It's happened before many times in history that powerful governmental authorities have tried to force faithful people to act against their consciences. Not just that powerful governmental authorities have legalized things that ought not to be legalized, but that these same authorities are trying to force and manipulate the minority of believers into not just allowing this, but actually doing these sorts of actions. One of the most interesting and important cases of this in history was uh, St. Thomas More. King Henry VIII wanted Thomas More to go along with and agree and give his stamp of approval to his claim that he was the head of the Church of England. And St. Thomas More refused at great personal cost to do this. He refused because conscience means something we as human beings are gifted to be able to act in accordance with reason. And we're gifted with the ability to discern between right and wrong. And to go against that deliberately in a very serious matter is something that gravely undermines the person. And that's why Thomas More was willing to be in uh, the Tower of London and that's why he's ultimately willing to even lay down his life rather than cooperate in something he knew was wrong. We too are called to act as Thomas More did, to act in a very heroic way, to give witness to our beliefs, even though powerful government authorities are trying to manipulate us, coerce us, and even punish us if we don't go along with the status quo. Thomas More now is looked on as a great hero in history. And when we stand up in a similar way, I think we'll be remembered in the same way. But even if we're not remembered, the point is not about human memory, the point is about obedience to the living God. That is the requirement of love. Out of love because we're created by God, out of love because God sustains us, out of love because God calls us to communion with him, out of love we should always refuse to do evil, even if powerful authorities say otherwise. Thank you very much. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville, faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.